Welcome, Dr. James Beckett, Sports Card Insights. Difficult episode. My dad passed away yesterday. Not unexpected. He was 97 and a half, lived a full life, but still it's really difficult. My mom is really struggling with the rest of my family. I'm the oldest of five kids and trying to be helpful and trying to do what my dad would do. My dad was my first hero. You can't choose your parents. And I couldn't have chosen better, but I didn't have a choice, but I was very blessed. And so I really shouldn't take that for granted. Just reading back through my dad's obit and realizing all the things he did, what a blessing. And certainly a lot of overlap with many of the things that that I did where the apple didn't fall far from the tree. But before I get started too far, let me thank my sponsors, Top Spinini, Upper Deck, Heritage Auctions, Huggins and Scott Auctions, Mike Stadium Sports Cards, Burbank Sports Cards, Comp C, and all the Beckett entities, which I share the name with my dad. My dad was James Beckett Jr., and I'm James Beckett III. So, again, all the Beckett entities owe a debt to my dad for sure. I wouldn't be here if it weren't for my dad, but also wouldn't be the man that I am or that I became or that I am becoming. So I think we're all still works in progress. My dad was tenacious until the very end. Last week was very tough, but I think he knew the end was in sight. He knew he was going to heaven, but it's still sad when you're leaving behind your wife of 75 years. They'd had their 75th wedding anniversary the week before, and it was just, he made it to that, and that was about it. He just stopped breathing. It's just difficult to watch, but nobody lives forever. I want to do him proud and my family proud for carrying on his legacy. So he certainly wasn't afraid of a big job. If I think back of all the things he did, and the new assignments, promotions, where he'd moved to a different part of the country and was just, I don't know that he was fearless. I don't think I'm fearless, but I think that he thought, I can do this. And that's what he inculcated in me. He had an industrial engineering degree from Cornell, Ivy League. So he had a great education. And just being an industrial engineer, they learned to work systems and processes and structure and optimizing and eliminating wastefulness and being efficient in terms of materials and workers and systems and energy and all that. And I'm not that. On the other hand, when we were at the dinner table, my dad would talk about work simplification. Don't make work harder than it needs to be. There's probably a structure that allows things to really come to full fruition. He certainly was a completist. If he said he was going to finish the job, he did. Uh, I'd been called a grinder, and he was a grinder, and that was a complaint. But he was a grinder without complaining. Some grinders said, oh, man, I just got to keep doing this. He didn't complain. He just was very consistent and persistent. And I want to be like him in that respect. I realized he lived in Chicago through the age of the Gowdies, mainly. I think he was in Chicago until 1938. And then about 1939 or so, his family moved to New Jersey. And so that's where he got to play balls. The other thing, full confession, full disclosure, I'm realizing that not only did my dad get me my first card in 1956 in May, which was Spook Jacobs 56 Tops, not a great start, but I held on to it. I also got my first vintage cards from him through his parents. After all, I was the oldest grandchild. But I just now have realized and seen that some of those cards were my uncle's. That apparently the cards in the attic of my grandparents were not just my dad's, but maybe those play balls were for my dad's younger brother. So I've never made amends of that. Again, they weren't that valuable in 1959 when I got them, but some of them were probably my Uncle Tom's cards. My dad didn't have a graduate degree, but he very highly valued education. And I was a firstborn. I wanted to set a good example. And so for me to go into grad school, I don't remember my dad discouraging me or encouraging me. 
he really gave advice to a lot of people, but really not so much to me. I don't really understand that other than I really closely observed. And so going to school to get a PhD was not something he said, hey, you're wasting your time. You don't need all that education or you need to jump into the work world. He just affirmed me in what I wanted to do. And same thing with getting in the army and being a lieutenant and being an officer in the army. Nobody told me to do that. He influenced me by his not military bearing, but he had been a naval officer in the Korean War. And I just thought, that this is something I learned some leadership. I think that was good. It was fundamental for my growth. My consulting and expert witnessing that I've told you about in previous episodes, my dad really wasn't an expert witness, but he always was a troubleshooter when he was in management for these large companies. He was in huge Fortune 500 companies in in general management for the first 30 years or so of his career. But then after all of his kids were pretty much out of college, he really had an itch to be an entrepreneur, which I did the same thing. I worked for companies until such point as I thought, I'm ready to do my own thing. And so my dad did that. He did it well. And I realized that when I started the company, which I was, I guess, 35 years old. So that was a little bit younger than when my dad went off on his own. But there's such a thing I've said about empirical confidence that if you're playing golf and you've hit that shot nine out of 10 times, you can have empirical confidence that I can hit that shot. I hit it nine out of 10. But there's another kind of confidence I think that I'm coining, which is generational confidence is that I've seen my dad do that. I'm his son. I bet I can do that too. And so I think there's a lot of inner city families and kids that do not have those examples or that confidence demonstrated in their home based on their circumstance. And and my dad had a real heart for that because he's always had a heart for the inner city kids. But that generational confidence that I've seen my grandfather do stuff, I've seen my father stuff, I've seen it done in my family, I believe I can do it too. And that also applies to mentorship. My dad was big into mentoring. I've done some of that as well. But it's just for your mentor to say, hey, I've done that. You can do it too. There's a generational transfer that's very helpful. When I'm trying to think about my dad, one of the things that gets in the way is I've realized that some of the positive traits that I think I have, I'm thinking, I got that for my dad. Then wait a minute, I also got that for my mom. It's hard to know when you have parents that have a really good marriage where one's starts and the other stops. My parents were pretty in sync throughout their marriage, and they presented a unified front, which was affirming and comforting to all of us kids. When I sold the company, which would otherwise be a pretty traumatic thing, my dad didn't say, hey, what are you doing? It meant I was going to restart. I was going to create not necessarily a better life, but a different life with more opportunity for family and friends. And I had enough money. And I think my dad didn't exactly go through that, but I think he really showed me that the new chapters of your life can still be very fulfilling. So my desire to finish well, I watched him finish well. I say that I do pro bono consulting, but he certainly did that as well. He had countless younger, mostly men that he would help. Some of them were prisoners. He did a lot of prison ministry, but a lot of them were just guys that needed some encouragement. One of the endearing things that happened when I notified a few friends, Rich Klein in particular, some of the bounce backs I got were people saying, hey, that's great. Your dad really raised a great son. He was a wonderful guy. And Rich Klein had the insight to say, you know what? He raised a great family because Rich knew my sister Claire and has met my brother and my other two sisters. My dad really didn't play favorites. It's one of the reasons I think he was a really good manager in business and did well is that he really regarded people regardless of where they came from. He really wanted to help them be the best they can be. And he certainly did that with me. 
My dad was not very technologically inclined. I think I also am a little short in that. I actually did a lot of programming in my younger days because I grew up in that era, but I didn't really grow up in the social media era, and my dad didn't either. He really never fully embraced that, but he fully embraced being social. He was way more social than I was, and I think that's why he was, I'm sure, a better manager than I was. He really was a great encourager of people. But he still was an engineer in his college preparation, industrial engineering. That's not mechanical engineering. It's not electrical engineering. In fact, I don't think he was very good at any of these other kinds of chemical engineering and all that. I didn't get that gene either. I'm not very handy about how things work. But my dad knew how people worked, and I think he knew how organizations and processes worked. And I'm probably 50% on that. But again, he had a great career in management. When I think of some of the roadblocks he hit in management in large businesses is because, like me, he was an ideator. He'd come up with great ideas. And when he'd be talking to some younger guy and I was overhearing, I thought, that's great advice. That's what I would say. So we really were in sync. And yet when you're in a large company, even when you present a great idea, sometimes the powers that be think we just mind your own business. We're just going to do it the way we've always done it. Hence, my dad had this desire to be an entrepreneur, which I innately did too. Again, my dad never told me, but I observed him. And that's probably the best way to receive advice that it's caught, not taught. A couple of times he gave me some advice or some ideas, and I don't think I really followed on it. And I thought, wow, what's wrong with me? And then I thought, wait a minute. I remember him giving me advice on some jobs or some things I could do to make some money in college because I was partially self-sustaining and all that. I had a good work ethic. But for whatever reason, I didn't really follow up on his ideas, and I always felt bad about that. And I think, I'm being pretty tough on myself. I did have three part-time jobs that I got on my own. For whatever reason, I didn't really follow up on his advice, but it must have stirred in me a desire to do it my own way because I think my dad really appreciated a self-starter. And I realized a lot of people that I give advice to, if they don't follow it, it's because they want it to be their own idea. And so I've really probably learned from that. And the hobby, it's the same thing. You want to encourage people to hobby the way they want to hobby. The other thing I share with my dad is I think we can be repetitive. If a good idea is worth repeating, it's perhaps worth repeating twice or three times. And I'm learning from that because people don't always appreciate the third time. They don't always even appreciate the second time that you repeat something. The other thing is I'm trying to figure out when I'm going to retire. And I've been saying I'm semi-retired. I'm realizing my dad never got beyond semi-retirement until the last couple months of his life when he broke his hip and was in the hospital and then hospice in the last several weeks. And so we could see the end coming. But until that time, he was still engaged in meaningful stuff that he was excited about waking up and, and doing something. In fact, when my mom and dad were 80 years old, they were 80, and they started a school in the inner city that's still going on. It's still going strong, but they had a desire to create a school for kids that needed a second chance. And it's called Cornerstone Crossroads Academy. They got it started. They brought in a part-time headmaster, then a full-time headmaster. And it's really been a blessing to kids in that community and to the community at large. My dad always was a family person. I really regard the hobby as a giant family. It's like anybody in the hobby is at least a distant cousin. We share at least the DNA of being a collector. My dad was a great man. He was my first hero, and I will uh, try to do him proud, and my mom as well, and my siblings, and my own kids, and all that. I, I really see that people probably are listening to what you're saying, but they're for sure watching what you're doing. And so I want to be an honorable man like my dad. 
And I want to do that. And I, like I said, any success I've had in the sports card hobby, a lot of it's due to the foundation that my dad provided in being the first collector in the Beckett family and being the entrepreneur that he was that gave me, as I said, the confidence to jump out and do something that really turned out wonderful. I know it's blessed my family and I hope it's blessed many of yours. And many of you have said that. I'm very grateful and I'm going to miss my dad and I want to be an encouragement to my mom who's really struggling because if you've been married for 75 years to somebody and then all of a sudden they're gone, it's really hard. So I'm going to try to be there for my mom and my siblings, but I still plan to be involved in the hobby until they take me to heaven as well. Thanks everybody and continue collecting. It's a very wholesome hobby and an opportunity to be doing something that you love. And not only that, in many cases you make money. So it's the greatest hobby of all time. And thank you, dad, for introducing me to it.